campus had their first Sunday morning service last week and apparently it was awesome from what I've heard. So we believe in you guys in Bridgeville and we believe that there are a lot of people in the South Hills who are gonna experience the grace of Jesus as you all stand up and say, come on, let's build this thing. Amen? Woo. The last few weeks we've been talking about daddy issues. Today's week four. It has been a heavy few weeks in church, but it has been a healing few weeks in church. I um, talked to a number of people this week and it's like, okay, I'm, ha I'm having to deal with some stuff that's buried pretty deep in my heart. And that is exactly what we need to do. That's what we need to do. We, we, need, we need to have whole hearts. We need to have secure hearts. We need to have healthy hearts because everything that we do flows out of the condition of our heart. But many of us have deep wounds living inside of our heart. And if we don't deal with those wounds, then it will affect what flows out of us. And so we're gonna get into it. And we have been getting into it to say, all right, God can heal us, but we gotta open up and let him, amen? So here's what I need from you this morning. I need you to have an open heart and I need you to let your defenses down and I need you to let God do what he needs to do in your heart. Will you do it? Hey man, I'm so pumped. Um, I was thinking this week about, about when I first became London's father. Now London, she's nine today. She was two and a half when we adopted her from China. And you know, I had, going into this adoption, I had all of these, these hopes for what it would be like to have a little girl and you know, to take care of her. And of course, you know, there's a, a nerve wracking experience traveling to China, going into an orphanage, taking care of a child. We knew she had some special needs. And going into that, going into that meeting where I was going to meet her for the first time, I had, you know, certain hopes and expectations. And my hope was, well, I'm gonna get to take care of her and love her. Like my hope is I'm gonna wrap my arms around her and I'm gonna make sure that she gets her needs met. My hope is I want her to come into my home where she hasn't had a home and find real love and real care. And I was willing to do anything necessary in order to do that for her and be that to her. But even though that was all in my heart, when we first met, she was scared to death of me. I mean, she, she would not look at me without screaming. If I made eye contact with her, she would scream for about a half an hour nonstop. Like serious tears, serious panic, serious like, I'm afraid of what this man's gonna do to me. And I think it's because she honestly had never interacted with a man before. She lived in an orphanage for the first two and a half years of her life and she had no concept for father, no concept even for man. And so as the, as, as the time went on, it didn't seem to change right away. Like she was scared of me, she wouldn't look at me. If I came near her, she would run the other direction screaming and crying for months and months and months. And so finally, after months of time, she would let me look at her. <laughs> and then she would let me be six feet from her. But it wasn't until months later, it was actually on Christmas morning, which is sort of a Christmas miracle, that London got up from the other side of the room and walked over to me and let me put her on my lap. I know, thank you, because that's how it felt. And I, of course, broke into tears. It's Christmas morning, come on. And for the first time, I felt like she's gonna let me love her. And when I was thinking about that, that this week, you know, I think that a lot of us 
have that kind of experience with God. Where it's like, I don't really know what his intentions are for me. I don't really know what his heart is toward me. And I'm not really sure what's going to happen if I really let him in to what's going on in my heart. And to be honest with you, I'm someone who ought to know God, right? Like I, I've studied the Bible for years. I went to seminary. I, like I know the Bible, right? I teach it for a living. And yet deep in my heart, if I'm completely honest with you, there are times where I wonder how he feels about me. You know, when I'm, when I'm talking to people about their relationship with God, I normally hear three things. One of three things, sometimes all three of them. The first one is this. I believe that God's disappointed in me. And I'm not only talking about people who like don't go to church very often. I'm talking about people who've been going to church for like decades, who feel like, okay, maybe I understand that God loves me, right? I mean, we literally put you are so loved on everything here at Amplify. Like, if you don't get the idea that God loves you, you're not paying attention, right? And so I might accept the fact that God loves me, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the fact that God looks at me and he's like, okay, of course he loves me because he has to, because he's God and whatever. But I'm sure that when he looks at me, he thinks I could have done a few things better this week. And because I didn't do things the best way I possibly could have, he's looking at me up in heaven being like, man, what the heck is her problem? What the heck is his problem? Why can't they get it together? Second thing that I hear a lot is that people believe that God is mad at them. I mean, it's not just disappointed. It's like he's actively pursuing me with like malicious intent. Like I, I invited a friend from the gym to church a few years back before COVID. And um, she was like, dude, I will catch on fire the moment I walk into church. And I'm like, no, you won't, you know. But she had this, pre, this predisposition that God is actually out to get her. Why? Because she's like, I'm not good enough for him. And so not only is he disappointed in me, but he's actually like really wanting to take me out. <laughs> and the third thing that I hear and this is especially from people who are more spiritually mature, is I believe that I have to earn his kindness. Maybe I understand the idea that salvation is a free gift, right? Like if you've been around church, you probably get that. Salvation is a free gift. Jesus' death on the cross, it was a free gift. But when it comes to God actually blessing what I do day to day, I gotta prove myself worthy of that. I gotta earn that. And so we have these sort of presuppositions about who God is. The problem is the single most important thing about you is what you believe about God. And specifically, what you believe about how God feels about you. Because that will affect everything. And, and, what, I've, and what I learned from London is that it did not matter how good my intentions were towards this little girl. What mattered is whether or not she believed that I had good intentions toward her. Because until she believed that, she was never gonna let me come close to her. And as a return, she was never gonna really understand love. Because I'm her father and it's my job to show her what love is. And she wasn't gonna get it from me. And it wasn't because I didn't want to, 
It's because she didn't trust my motives. And there's a lot of reasons why we have a lot of questions about the heart of God. And, and listen to me, can we just sort of dig down past the theological layers for a minute? Because you, you can know theology about unconditional grace and you can know theology about, you know, the atonement of Jesus. You can know all of that and still at the core of your heart, wonder whether or not God's happy with you today, right? And so I'm not talking about what you understand theologically. There's a time for teaching that and we have and we will. I'm talking about what do you really think that God feels about you today? What do you really think? Because the truth is, is that the way that we see God's heart toward us is usually shaped by our experiences with people. And if your dad was not good to you, it is really hard to trust that God is good to you. And you can quote 45 Bible verses and still not believe that he's actually good towards you. Because a lot of us expect people to be bad to us. Do you know why we do that? Because people are bad to us. <laughs> And even if you had the best dad in the world, there's been someone who was not good to you, right? And when people are bad to you, you expect people to be bad to you. And then you take that expectation and you project it onto everyone and everything. You expect people to be bad to you. And so what does that do to your relationship with God? Well, you expect that he's probably not gonna be super good to you. The second reason why we have a hard time understanding the heart of God is because I go through hard things and I interpret them as evidence that God is uncaring. Even as someone who knows God and has believed the scriptures for many years, when things get really hard in my life, I believe that it's because God didn't want to make it easy for me. And therefore, he probably doesn't have good intentions for me right now. And this is a complicated one because the truth is, is that God doesn't always make everything easy for you. And a lot of the hard things that you go through, God allows or sometimes causes. I'm not saying God causes bad things, but he, doesn't, but he will cause some hard things sometimes. And some things he doesn't cause, but he allows. Do you know why? Because he's training you and developing you and teaching you how to have faith but it's not because he's uncaring, it's because he is caring and helping to develop you, right? But a lot of us interpret those things as uncaring. I you have a friend who has a house in Southwest Florida and I you know, hit him up this week and I was like, hey, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, I'm great. The storm was 75 miles south of us, we're fine. And then he said, praise God. And I was like, that's right, praise God. How awesome is that? And then I thought, well, what about the people who live 75 miles south, right? Because they're probably not saying praise God today. And how do, we, how do we reconcile that? How do we reconcile the fact that God is a good God supposedly, but yet bad things happen to us? How do we reconcile that? And so when bad things happen, we interpret it as evidence that God really isn't caring, that God really isn't good, and he probably doesn't have good intentions. And so we're London on the other side of the room with a father on the other side who loves us passionately, but we won't go close to him because we think that he just is out to get us sometimes, right? And the truth is God does not cause all of these bad things that happen. 
He doesn't promise to stop them either, but he does promise to work them for good and to be the redeemer in the middle of them. Okay? So then, yeah, go ahead, come on. So the third reason why we have a hard time trusting the heart of God is this. Because I expect that love is a reward for performance. And so my relationship with God isn't really determined by his heart and his character. My relationship with God is determined by my heart and my behavior. And we believe that. We believe that because a lot of us have had religion that has taught us that. Right? It's not the gospel, but it's been taught. A lot of us think that about God because that's the way we were raised. Right? I'll be good to you if you're good to me. I'll be kind to you if you do the right things. And if you don't do the right things, you're cut off. I mean, there are whole families that shun people whenever they act out of line. And so we grow up with this idea that love is a reward for performance. And we live in a society that, that will celebrate that as well. And so what this does is it means that my understanding of God's activity in my life is dependent on my perception of my performance today. So my whole security and sense of identity is defined by how well I did today. Because God's heart towards me is determined by how well I've performed. And I think that there's probably a performance scale and some of us are at different points on the scale. I think on one end of the scale, you've got people who are very performance oriented people. People who truly have the expectation on themselves that everything that they do must be perfect. You've got the perfectionist side of the scale. And the problem with perfectionists is that if anything at all isn't absolutely perfect, you don't have any peace with yourself. And the shadow side of that is that your relationships are determined by performance. And when people around you don't live up to your expectations, you have a really hard time dealing with that because you are on the perfectionist side of the scale. The other side of the scale is the, the side of the scale where it's kind of like, I've given up believing that my performance can change anything in the world. And so therefore my attitude is like, the world owes me everything and I owe the world nothing. And so you better give me what I need and give me what I want and I will be entitled to it. And you better not ask me to perform at all because the world owes me. And the shadow side of that is that you never do anything with the God-given potential that's put inside of you. And you're entitled and your entitlement makes you selfish, which means that relationships are almost impossible for you. Also, the world is not gonna give you what you think it owes you. It does not matter how much you scream and cry and shout and protest, it's not going to. And so you're gonna be seriously discontent in life and you will become bitter and you'll become angry at the world around you, but none of it's your fault. And so you'll stay in your couch and complain until you die. That's the other side of the scale. All right? And, and we're, every one of us is at some sort of point along that scale. Me personally, I tend to be on the perfectionist side of the scale. In my family, we really valued hard work. It was a massive value, as are many families, especially in blue collar places like where I grew up. 
And so along with that, there was a lot of reward for hard work and a lot of shame for not hard work. Now, there's a really good thing to that because it teaches you how to work hard and it teaches you how to do good things, right? A lot of good to that. But there's a lot of bad to that too when your identity is defined by your behavior and your performance because that will crush you and you'll never really know who you are. And so we live at some point on that scale and depending on where you are on that scale, it shapes a lot about how you view God and it shapes almost everything about how you view yourself and what you're here to do and what you're here to be in this world. All right, so what does God say about this? Are you with me, church? All right, are you leaning in? All right, Genesis. Genesis chapter one. I love the first few chapters of Genesis because it tells us what we were meant to be. Genesis one, verse 26. God creates everything in nature and then he gets to the crown of his creation. Then the Lord God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule. Wait, wait, why was man created? To rule. Let us make mankind in our image that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and the wild animals, and over all of the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them. Okay, wait. What did they do in order to get God's blessing? What did Adam do to get God to decide to bless him? Adam ain't done anything yet. He just exists. He breathes air. And what's God do? I'm gonna bless you. And then he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth, subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky. There's that word again and over every living creature that moves along the ground. And then God said, I give you every seed bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that, um, that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food and it was so. And God saw that all, all that he had made and it was very, Good. Everything else up until this point, God says was good. But when he makes you, he says it was very good. It's an interesting distinction in the way this was written. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. And then God rests on the seventh day because you were the crown of his creation. Okay, so within those few verses, we start to see who we were made to be and what originally shapes our identity. A few things, five things that this teaches us about who we are. The first is this, we are empowered with authority to rule. Right from the beginning, even before you did anything, God gave you authority. And he said, I want you to rule on the earth. He says, I want you to take authority over everything that I've created. 
Now, what was the purpose of that authority? Well, he said, I want you to take authority over what I've given you, and I want you to multiply it. Cultivate the plants, cultivate the animals, and multiply it. Be fruitful and multiply. So God says to you, I've given you authority to rule so that what is underneath your rule will grow, will thrive, will flourish. So parents in the house, mothers and fathers, you were given authority to rule. But the purpose of your rulership is not to subjugate and limit. The purpose of your authority is to bless so that the things underneath your authority might be fruitful and might grow. The point is that they would flourish. But many of us can't take the authority that God's given to us because we're insecure. And how can I take authority if I've got deep questions in my own heart about my own value and worth? And I wanna tell you that insecurity will destroy everything you touch because you will never operate in the authority that you were meant to have. And therefore, the real casualties of your lack of authority will be the people underneath you who did not thrive because you didn't create the conditions for them to thrive. But you won't do it if you don't think you can act with authority. And so on that perfectionism scale, on one side, if I have to be absolutely perfect at everything I do, I won't operate in authority. Really, I won't. Do you know why? Because I'll always wonder whether or not my leadership and my authority will be good enough. And on the other side of the scale, I will never operate in authority and I'll never rule because I have learned that it is more comfortable to be passive. But both of those are a deep violation of who you were made to be. Some of us can't even take authority over our own lives, our own heart, our own mind. And we play victim all day, every single day. Why do you have the problems that you do? You will so quickly come up with five people or things that aren't you that are to blame for the problems that you have. Why? Because you won't take authority. Why? Because you're insecure. Why are you insecure? Because you don't know your father. Because your father, which leads us to the next point, your father gives you your identity. In Genesis chapter one, the father gave identity to Adam and Eve. And what does he say to Adam and Eve? That they were made in his image. Let me tell you who you are. Let me tell you what you're like. Let me tell you how significant you are. Let me tell you how beautiful you are. I'm going to tell you that you are made in my image. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? It means that there is something about the nature of God that has been uniquely given to us. And that sets us apart from the animals and the birds, you know, the, the, the trees, we're set apart. And so we're made in the image of God, which means that we carry the very nature of God. And here's, here's one way that we can understand it. We have been given the beauty and the significance of God. 
Especially in the Old Testament, when it talks about God, it talks about the glory of God. It uses this Hebrew word called kavad, which literally translates weightiness. It means it's significant, it matters, it's heavy, it's important. And David in the Psalms says that God's dignified us with his glory. We've been given that significance. But understand where the significance comes from. It doesn't come from my performance. Because I was made in the image of God with his weightiness and beauty far before I even had the capacity to perform at all. Even before I did anything, I was given his glory, his significance, his beauty. And for those of you who are passive and wanna sit back and be mad at the world, it's a violation of the image of God that you've been given because you are not so unimportant that the world can live without you being present. You matter, which is why you're here. You have a destiny, which is why you're here. You're made in the image of God and the world needs you to show up. You've been given the glory of God. So the third thing that we learn in these verses is that we were blessed. God creates us and then he blesses us. And this really messes with me because for me and my performance issues, I feel like I have to earn God's blessing every day in my life. I feel like if I wake up in the morning and the first thought in my head is some sort of negative defeated crap, that right off the bat, God's looking at me and he's being like, why the heck would you think that? I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm screwing it up already and I'm not even out of bed yet. And I'm like, God, please, can you overlook it? Like, help me, I need you today. You know, and I'm like, I gotta earn it because I'm a mess. But God's like, my blessing on your life was not given with conditions. Now you don't have to enter into it. You can be like London sitting on the other side of the room crying every time that your dad looks at you. But if you choose to walk over and sit in his lap, he's been waiting for you to come. And his blessing's already there. Now I know that for some of the religious folk, we're having a hard time right now. Cause we're like, don't you dare tell people that they are blessed regardless of their behavior, because you are going to give them permission and license to sin and to lead a really messed up life. And I wanna say that is such, I'm thinking of a church appropriate word. <laughs> that is such garbage. That's such garbage. <laughs> Do you know why? Because if your performance could earn, earn God's blessing, there was no need for Jesus. And there's no need for the gospel. And let me tell you something. When you really understand the heart of God to bless you unconditionally, it does not make you want to run away and do a bunch of stupid things that are offensive to his nature. No. 
If you have a sin problem in your life today, the answer is not more self-judgment and self-criticism. The answer for the sin problem that you have in your heart is to have a more deeply clear understanding of the Father's heart towards you. Because the Father's heart of blessing and grace, will it will annihilate the selfishness that motivates you. It will annihilate your appetite for stupid, sloppy seconds. No, no, no. You deal with sin by understanding his blessing and grace. It's not license because it stirs your heart full of fiery passion. My gosh, Linda doesn't come sit in my lap and let me wrap her arms around her and then say, oh, thanks, Eddie, that's so good. I'm gonna go, you know, like destroy all of the stuff that's important to you now. It's like, that's so illogical. But for some reason, religion tells us, don't tell people that God loves them unconditionally because then they'll be stupid. It's like, they are already stupid. (laughs) What they need is the love of God. What they need is the blessing of God. What they need is the gospel. All right. So number four, are you still with me? (laughs) Number four, what else are we learning from these passages in Genesis? We were given the ability to multiply and to fill the earth with good things. How did Adam and Eve multiply according to God's command? Did they have to manufacture and come up with a way of doing this? No, no, no. They were innately given the ability to do this. And ultimately, if you think about it in very, you know, sort of realistic terms, the way that Adam and Eve were going to fulfill the command of God to multiply and fill the earth was always going to be a result of love and passion. That was the design. Love, be passionate, give yourself fully to another person, and it will cause multiplication in life to fill the earth. And so you didn't have to try to multiply. You just had to love according to your nature and you would multiply and fill the earth. Which means that the mandate on you is not perform and be perfect. The mandate on you in Genesis is also not sit and be passive and wait for the world to give you what it wants, what you want. The mandate on you is to love with all of yourself in an unrestrained way. And as a result, everything that you touch will multiply and grow and bring life but it requires you to have the audacity and the, listen to this, initiative in order to rule and to love and to create an environment of flourishing in life. But you can only do that if you're secure in who you are. Have the ability to multiply and fill the earth with good things. And the last point that we learn about ourselves from these passages is this. We have been given the whole abundance of nature But here's why I'm pointing that out, is because God creates us, and before we have the ability to perform at all, we have his blessing, we have his love, we have his kindness, we have his glory, and then he gives us all of these good gifts. He's like, guys, look at this. I made apples and raspberries and eagles and crocodiles. Look how cool that is. And it's all for you. It's all for you. Have at it. Did you earn any of that? Listen, today, what did you have for breakfast? I know some of you were like, I don't eat breakfast. I'm like, I don't get you. I can't think straight, all right? I need the breakfast. Did you create the grain that was in your bread? Did you create the fruit 
that you spread on your bagel? <laughs> Did you create the pumpkin or the cinnamon or the nutmeg or the cloves or the coffee that was in your pumpkin spice latte this morning? <laughs> Did you create any of that? It was a gift given to you by the creator. Why? Because he likes to bless his kids. How'd it get in your coffee cup though? Someone took authority, multiplied it, stewarded it, cultivated it, and made something beautiful out of it. But the thing that they made out of it was not more beautiful than the thing that was made to begin with. It was free to us. Right? Why would God give us all of these nice things? That will blow your mind as a perfectionist. God gave you all of these nice things to steward and cultivate, and you didn't earn any of them. You didn't work for any of it. It was given to you. Why? Because that's the nature of God. So we see all of these things about who we are, carrying his image, given the ability to multiply and grow, given the ability to cultivate, operate in authority. But what do we see about God? What do we see about the nature of God in this passage? What's it mean for how he feels about you? What's God doing? He's creating and he's blessing. That's what God's doing. It is the nature of God to bless, unconditionally to bless. But it still leaves us with our dilemma. The dilemma is how do I feel about how God feels about me today. Because I am deeply aware of all of the reasons why God should be disappointed in me. Deeply aware. Even if in my pride I won't admit any of them, I'm deeply aware of all the reasons why God would be disappointed in me. And that's what keeps some people passive. And that's what keeps other people perfectionists. The perfectionists are trying to prove that they can earn it and the passive have just resigned themselves to the fact that they're a piece of garbage and they can't really do anything good. But it's the same root. The root is, God's probably disappointed in me. God's probably not actually blessing me today. Maybe if I do a lot of really good things, there will be some blessing. But the problem is, is that if I don't really know how God feels about me, I will try to perform to earn love and security. But where does security come from? Where does strength come from? Where does this power to rule and multiply and create goodness come from? Well, the only people who can operate in authority to create good on the earth are people who've answered the question about how God feels about them. It's secure people. People who don't need to prove to earn God's love and people also who are not sitting on a couch thinking I'm a piece of trash today. No, they're secure in who they are. But how do they get secure? Is it because they achieved a certain level of success? Achieved a certain level of money? Achieved a certain level of love or affirmation? How'd they get secure? Well, were Adam and Eve insecure? Were they having any identity crises? 
Was it because Adam and Eve were fully performing at their highest level? See, what's really interesting to me about this passage is that you see all of these things that Adam and Eve were entrusted with and all of the blessing that God had given to them. But I also look at this passage and I see a deep, deep, deep neediness in Adam and Eve. Like they were deeply needy. By design, they were deeply needy. Because if God didn't create food, they were gonna starve to death. And if God didn't give them breath, they would suffocate to death. And, and if God didn't give them the capacity to multiply, there would be no more of them. And so while they had this authority to rule and the blessing of God in their lives, all of that power that they had to live life according to original design was not really within themselves. No, they were deeply needy, deeply dependent on their father. And so secure people are not people who figured out how to be self-sufficient. Secure people are not people who are confident in their ability to perform because the perfectionists are very deeply insecure, which is why you have to earn everything all the time. No, secure people are not aware of their self-sufficiency. Secure people are aware of their deep neediness. But they have answered the question, where do I get my needs met? It's only when I embrace my deep neediness that I can have an unshakable strength rooted in deep security. I'm needy for God. I'm needy for someone to show me who I am. I'm needy for someone to provide me with the ingredients so that I can eat something today. I'm needy for breath that I can't create and I don't have much say over. I'm needy for all of it. It's just that I have, I have realized where my needs can be met. And because of that, I'm secure. I'm secure. But a lot of you are not going to God to get your needs met. Do you know why? Because you still have questions about how he feels about you. And you're on the other side of the room, wondering why your life doesn't seem to make sense, wondering why you still don't have peace and wondering why you still haven't done what you wanted to do in life. And it's because you haven't trusted that he is the only one who can actually meet your neediness. And I'm not asking you to be not needy. I'm asking you to direct all of your neediness to the one who can actually fulfill the need. Worship team, you can come on up. It is the nature of God to bless you. And that blessing is not given because of your perfect performance. You were created by design to be the object of his blessing. Yeah, you. Even you who think that you actually are a piece of garbage. Even you who made 14 mistakes before you got to church this morning. You were created to be the object of his blessing. And no, you are not perfect, but you have his blessing anyway. But here's the beautiful thing about God. He wanted to bless you so much.
that when your sin puts you on the opposite side of the room from him, he came to get you. For by one sacrifice, God has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. For the sacrifice of Jesus, the blood that poured on the cross was enough to perfect you forever. Your perfection in the eyes of God is not based on your behavior. It is based on the sacrifice of Jesus. And so if you wonder whether or not you're enough for God today, the question isn't, are you enough? The question is, was Jesus enough? The question isn't, is your behavior enough? The question is, was Jesus's behavior enough? The question is not, is your sacrifice to God, is your worship to God enough? The question is, was Jesus's sacrifice enough? Was his worship to God enough? And the truth is, it was enough. And so all of my imperfections were thrown onto Jesus on the cross, which is why we are told we have been made perfect forever by the blood of Jesus, which means we are perfectly able to enter into relationship with the Father. <laughs> and yes, I begin a journey now of becoming holy, which means operating in my real identity, not striving to be perfect, but resting in the authority and the nature that I've been given, producing good things everywhere that I go. And we need to lay down our perfectionism, guys, because it is cutting you off from God. If you want to relate to God based on your performance, you will never have a close relationship with God because your performance will never be good enough. But you can come freely and boldly to the throne of grace and receive his blood for all of your imperfections. And you can find that if you dare to walk across the room, the Father's heart towards you can be trusted because he is a good father who is waiting to wrap his arms around you to tell you that you have his blessing. Listen to me, listen to me. Today, God is already blessing you. You just may not be receiving it because you're still trying to earn it. Right now, God in this very moment is not disappointed in you. Do you know what he's doing right now? He's trying to make you smile just like a good earthly father would. He's trying to surprise you with his love. He's trying to woo you closer to him so that you would know him. God, right now, he's pursuing you. He's saying, my son, my daughter, come sit on my lap. You don't need to perform. You don't need to be perfect. I made the space for you. And it's not my heart to yell at you. It's my heart to bless you, to be good to you, to love you, to speak to you. It's my nature to be kind to you. Lay down your fight. Lay down your performance and receive the grace of God and receive the unlimited, unconditional acceptance of God so that you might know that who you are is not defined 